transmitted live across the Atlantic 3,000 miles and five hours backwards in time. We are now getting your sound clearly and we are looking forward with great anticipation to seeing your program. Hello and welcome to another edition of Match Report. I'm Jack and I'm here with Manny. How's it going, man? All good, all good, man. Good weekend of football. How's, how's your week been? It's been great. Uh, it was a big week on the football weekend. On, on Monday, I had a, a story on Kate Abdo, who hosts the CBS uh, Champions League coverage on, uh, in the United States. I had an interview with her uh, go up in GQ Magazine Monday. And then on Wednesday, I had interviews with uh, Thierry Henry, Micah Richards, and Jamie Carragher, the whole rest of that crew uh, that went up on the football weekend for a special feature on Wednesday. Then this weekend, as you might may be able to hear in my voice, I had my a very good friend's wedding, which luckily was nice. here in New York, not too far to travel, but I'm sort of fighting today to a draw after that. <laughs> good wedding. Was it, was it a big one? Uh, yeah, fairly big. Um, and, you know, we were up... Fairly late. <laughs> we, I was up in time for the, uh, you know, the early kickoffs today, um, and they were all three of them. I don't know why, uh, you know, the Premier League is putting these great matches in the same match window. But I, I guess we should start with the uh, the later match, which was the marquee match of the weekend: Liverpool hosting your Manchester United Red Devils. Yeah, my um, team. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say as a neutral it set the world on fire for me, but you know Virgil Van Dyke said after the game that he thought only one team went out there to win it. Uh, do you think that's unfair to to United? How did you view that? Yeah, probably he's right, but the onus is always going to be on the home team, and Liverpool are in good form. Um, United have got a massively depleted squad, so the fact that we we went in a half time nil nil was you know a half decent result already. Um, to, to not concede a goal was, was fantastic from us. Um, the fact that we got, we got to half-time 0-0 was, was a half-decent result already. Um, I think a bit of sour grapes from Van Dijk and, and the Liverpool side, they really should have capitalised on their chances. Um, they didn't play particularly well at all. And it was, it was a pretty dead game, quality-wise. Um, but that, that was in United's favour. To walk away with a point from Anfield is, is a fantastic result, especially the current form of, you know, of the United side. Yeah, I, I think it was clear that they came to not concede a goal, which should be the first priority after what happened in, in March. Uh, but, you know, they did their job. I mean, last season, uh, Arsenal, you know, barely got a draw there, conceding, I think, a ton of higher quality chances than United gave up here. But it felt mostly down to how poor some of Liverpool's players were. Um, yeah. I'm not the first to say it already today, but... Dominic Shabuzlai, who I think has been a great signing so far, was was pretty poor today in their midfield. Mm -hmm. Definitely missing Alexis McAllister and his quality getting the ball forward uh, and breaking the lines. I don't think Wataro Endo, as we've said on this show before, is at the level. I'm, I'm really not convinced. And even their wide players. I mean, Mohamed Salah, not his best game. And uh, Luis Diaz, sort of... I didn't notice him. You know, you, you didn't yeah. you didn't hear his name on commentary. Yeah, they they were quite quite nullified to be honest, and their their best chances came from set pieces. Um, so, but I think man of the match for us has to be Varane, and it, that's that's a big statement again 
um, from the player to, to the manager that like regardless of form he's our best defender um, the way he, he led the team defensively I mean, it was a makeshift defence again but he was, he was colossal today um, and that was literally the foundation for us to go on you know, and, see out, and see out the draw um, we was always going to wait for moments wait for a counter attack uh, unfortunately Garnacho didn't really have many chances one on one against Trent um, Hodgland was working hard up front but I think he should have finished his chance um, or at least tested the keeper a bit, a bit better but he's raw, he's young, and you know he, he put a lot of energy up front without much reward. Um, Anthony was in and out of the game, but I would say for Anthony, a couple of the openings that we did have was through him. Um, you like to always see him do a lot more, uh, but yeah, he, he was a bit more effective for us than, than some of the other players. McTominay, again, physically and, and the duels, he did well. Amrabat tried to get about the pitch and, you know, be a presence in midfield, um, but again, in our midfield, it was it was young Manu that I thought held his own the most. You know, he was composed in possession. Um, he didn't rush his play, and yeah, he, he gave away the yellow card. But I thought I thought it was, it was well done to to stop that counter attack. So you know, all in all, a point away at Anfield is is fantastic, and the manager clearly set out for us not to concede and trying you know try and nick it somehow. Rashford came on, had a had a decent opportunity with him linking up with Shaw. Um, but that was always going to be our game plan. It was just unfortunate that the luck didn't, didn't fall on us. But I think it's more, of a, it's more of an embarrassment for Liverpool that they didn't really create a clear-cut chance and they didn't really open us up um, as you've seen them do you know, in the past couple of months in the league. Yeah, I think you're exactly right about Varane. I mean, form is temporary, class is permanent. I, I think he should be... It's amazing to me that it takes a, a bunch of injuries for him to get a start. Exactly. In this team, he's clearly the most quality defender. I think Luke Shaw is quality as well, although yeah. he's got a nasty streak in him, Luke Shaw. <laughs> he, had, he had a nasty tackle at the end there. Um, and I've seen that uh, from him before, but maybe you need a bit of that. I also thought um, Andre Onana was playing with like almost a defiance in possession, mm -hmm. a bit of arrogance. He was still misplacing some passes, but he was kind of cheeky and was, and you know, the crowd was all over him. Didn't seem to affect him, which. I was impressed with after the trials and tribulations of, of his season. Yeah. Um, but one person I do need to stick the knife in on is I, I thought that Sofian Amrabat was so poor. Um, yeah. I think you're right that physically he can get around, and I don't think there are questions about his physicality. To me, it's more, first of all, on the ball, he, was, he gave the ball away so many mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. But also, when it comes to making a challenge, again, he's, he's big enough, strong enough, fast enough, but I, I'm not sure that his mind is working fast enough to put himself in the right position, stick his foot in at the right time. I just saw him losing those those mm -hmm. duels. And, and if he's going to be that double pivot, as you say, the young kid, Kobe Menu, he's I trust him to win those duels more than this highly experienced, you know, international player who's played World Cup semifinals. Yeah. Um, and, and that position, that, that holding midfield is so key in the league. Um, the Premiership being so fast-paced and a lot of transition, if your six is not clued on it and is not sniffing out those those dangers and putting out the fires immediately, you do look, you know, second best and overrun. Um, he's not the best in possession as well, and I think that's not really his game is to break up the play and to give it to the more progressive uh, midfielders. But with Eriksen out, with Mount out, with you know, Fernandez not in the team, his his lack of you know ball quality goes to show even more, um, and I think coming into this league, playing in that position, 
you have to be so quick-minded, just like you said. Um, and I think it will take time. It will definitely take time. I don't know if many Man United signings have time anymore. Um, and I think he, he's someone that will probably look better alongside a Casemiro, um, alongside a Mount or Ericsson, who are, who are better controllers of the ball and can dictate tempo a bit and kind of like simplify his game. Um, he's having to do a, a bit more than you would expect from a player of his, of his ability, um, really. But I think in a double pivot with a Casemiro, I think Amrabat would, would look more assured. But in, yeah, in, in the United side that we have at the moment, it's, yeah, it, he's like almost one man on the island and he just doesn't have that outstanding quality that a Rodri or, or a Rice has that can dominate a midfield on his own. Yeah. And on the other side of things, I was struck by Darwin Nunez's role where I felt like he was running out wide quite a bit. I understand his, his job is to run the channels to a certain extent. Uh, but, you know, I, I never like to see my number nine, you know, some, it's different in some teams. But, yeah, to have your number nine crossing to Luis Diaz, who actually has a better spring on him than you might expect and can score the odd header. But it's just not what I would want to see. Um, you know, when Firmino was playing that role, it was he would interchange with, with Sadio Mane sometimes, but he was a much more central link man. I just, Darwin is, is just a hard you know, nut to crack. I, I, it seems like he should be the whole package, um, but he doesn't, it doesn't seem to be there at club level. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% convinced on him either. Um, he's almost, you know, a wide forward slash, you know, force nine um, centre forward. He's definitely not clinical enough, but he's got the pace, he's got the stature. You'd expect him to be a bit more threatening and, and lethal. Um, but again, he's very hit and miss. Another game you'll see him, you know, on fire and get a couple of goals. But their whole front line looked disjointed today. Uh, so I think McAllister is a big miss. He, he maybe links that, that attack in, in the midfield a bit more. Uh, Trent, bless him, was trying his hardest in, in the midfield there. They pushed him from, from right back into the midfield in the place of um, Dominic Sabaslai. But yeah, it was just a lot of hopeful crosses in and United were just clearing them all. Yeah. No, I think it's a great it's a great result for United under the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Liverpool will be very disappointed with their performance more than anything. But, bef- of course, because it's the Premier League and it's a big match, we have a refereeing decision <sighs> that we are forced to hit on. Um, and we were chatting about this before we, we got on and yeah. started recording. Michael Oliver, this is not his first time dishing out <laughs> multiple yellow cards in a, in a seven-second sequence. But, you know, as a United fan on your couch watching that, what was your, your heart rate like? What, what was going through your mind? To be honest, I'm just thankful it was in the last minute of the game because that could have been massively detrimental to us if it was, you know, 15, 20 minutes from, you know, the end of the game, you know, playing at Anfield, a man, a man down, you know, you're in real trouble there. But I just don't like the referees in this league seem to always want to make the game about themselves or want to be centre stage. There was literally no reason for that second yellow. The, I understand, you know, giving the first yellow for dissent, but he, Dallow hadn't even finished his rant and he was given a second one, you know. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a shocking decision. And I don't even know if the league will look at it again and, and maybe rescind it. But yeah, yeah United are, are fast losing players. So having another defender out now is um is, is not the best but yes yeah, sh- sh- no united should appeal that 
Yeah, the United should appeal that decision for sure. I mean, as I say, Michael Oliver has previous. I think the, the, the he had an incident with Gabriel Martinelli in maybe February of 2022, so, sometime yeah. in that season, where I believe it was a foul throw, and then Martinelli, in frustration, kicked the ball away, which is almost a form of dissent in that scenario, and got the two yellows, I think, in seven seconds or something. Um, it's just... Nobody is looking for the referees to be more prominent in the match. Like it's no. it's like that Arrested Development joke about the school that one of the kids go to, goes to that the kids should be neither seen nor heard. Like yes. an ideal refereeing performance is that nobody noticed you at all. And yeah. part of that is, and especially in a big game like this where you know the tensions are going to be high. It's Liverpool, Man United, taking the sting out of the game, managing the players, managing their emotions, knowing that you have a duty to the league and the viewers. I mean, the fan, like the fans don't deserve this kind of crapola where it's like, and then tomorrow they'll be on sky sports. They'll have their segment where they have referees on television being the TV stars. Nobody wants this. Nobody wants that. And you don't see that in any other sport. You would never see a, you know, a ref on from a rugby game or NFL game, just having a 50 minute segment, you know, on ESPN, you know, it's, it's, it's terrible. It is terrible. Um, and we need to move away from that. You're right. Like referees should really should be seen and, and not heard so much. But yeah, it's all part of the game now. Everything is just entertainment and all about trying to get as much out of it. But we've got to move away from it. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's becoming part of the entertainment product, as you said, yeah. uh, being packaged up by the TV companies. But now that we've we've do, done our requisite, although I, I probably have a complaint later about a certain offside decision, but <laughs> we got through the major incident um, earlier uh, this morning, earlier Sunday morning. Uh, there were three matches simultaneously, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that I was most interested in, of course, was Arsenal against Brighton, and I, I do think that that was probably the second. If you had a marquee for the weekend, probably that was the number two. Yeah. Brighton over the last season and a half have been, you know, a very impressive outfit. I thought that Arsenal absolutely dominated them uh, here from start to finish, but I still get that feeling. I've, I might have said this before, but I get more stressed out sitting on my couch watching my team dominate and not take their chances than mm-hmm. when they're in a 50-50 real, like, knockdown, dragout fight. Like, if we're going back and forth with Man City... No, not a lot of clear chances. It's a war in the middle of the park. I am much more at ease than I am watching us beat the hell out of somebody and not finish our chances because I've seen so many Arsenal teams do this where it's like you play the pretty stuff, you you control the game, you don't take your two or three chances. And in this league, you get punished, especially by a team that's as good as Brighton. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it was actually a really good performance and, and the, the scoreline justified the performance in the end. Uh, I think 1-0 would have been um, would have been quite harsh on Arsenal, actually. They definitely deserved a 2-3-0 um, scoreline to reflect their, their play. Um, Brighton had a couple chances, especially in the second half. Um, I don't know how Gross missed that chance. Um, but, yeah, it was an assured, you know, hate to say it, but title contender or title winning performance where you, you've grinded out and broken a team down, got the goal, then got the second goal to, you know, to, to ease the final, the final moments of the game. Uh, I, I thought Jesus was brilliant um, in the match today. Um, the way he comes off and drops off in, 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 in the hole, 
pulls defenders away and just allows your wingers to, to attack the space that he leaves behind. And Havertz is now running beyond that he wasn't doing as much earlier parts of the season. I think the tactical switch has been Havertz playing that further forward and Odegaard dropping closer towards uh, Rice and picking up the ball and circulating the play a bit. Um, you're seeing it before that the Havertz was, was having that responsibility uh, as, the, as the eight, but it's not his strong he's not his strong suit. You know, he's got to just be attacking the box and making those third man runs. Um, and it paid off today. It was a good finish from him as well. Yeah. Yeah, I thought Martin Odegaard was fantastic at times. Some of the touches he took to pluck something out of the air. He's even in the box with the defender on him. He plucks it out of the air, puts puts it on the ground exactly where the defender can't get to it. Um, he is a really a delightful player to watch. But mm-hmm. to me, in the first half, he was one of the you know public enemy number one in terms of Arsenal playing with their food in the box. You know, mm-hmm. you look at the stats. Uh, Brighton had two touches in the Arsenal box in the first half. Arsenal had however many dozens yeah. in theirs, but you don't get points for that. You know, yeah. you need to finish. You can't take three touches in the box. You can't even take two in the six-yard box where Martin Odegaard did at one point, and I was just yelling at my TV. Because, <laughs> again, it reminds me of those, you know, Cesc Fabregas, uh, Tomas Rosicki teams where they yeah. played the best stuff, but you can't always walk it in the goal. Sometimes you need to just smash one from the top of the box and get a deflection and get, you know, that's how they beat Man City. Yeah. Um, that was driving me crazy. And they almost were punished, as you say. You know, I think... Mikel Arteta uh, mostly got it right today, but with his first substitutions, he got it wrong, I thought, mm. where he brought off Martinelli and uh, Jesus at 1-0, mm. uh, brought on Trossard, who, as you know, I rate very highly, but I don't love him out on the left wing. I prefer him yeah. in the interior Central. spaces. Mm-hmm. And in Eddie Nketia, I just when he comes on, I don't feel like we're getting stronger, even if he has fresh legs. And yeah. then almost immediately, a few minutes later... Uh, we get sliced open down the left, and Pascal Gross, who I think is one of the better midfield goal scorers in the league, he's he's great at arriving late like that, unmarked, you know, sweep at home low. That I thought it was, I couldn't believe that that didn't go in. Mm. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. It was almost harder to miss at that point than than to finish. Uh, and yeah, that that substitution could have gone gone against you guys. Um, but yeah, you found a way to, to win. Uh, there was a great bit of play earlier um, before your uh, your second goal from Rice where he picked it up and just drove. Like, I hate to say it, man. He's probably been the signing of, of the season, of the league. Um, and he's you know, he's carrying the team. And I think you guys will be even more formidable once uh, Partey's back as well. Because uh, I'm, I'm still not convinced on, on the... The partnership of Rice, Odegaard, and Havertz—it's—it's it's getting wins, it's getting results here and there. But I just think, in the tighter games and the more difficult games, um, I just don't see that being the midfield free that, yeah, that that would get you the wins against a City away or against you know Liverpool away, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Declan Rice. I thought he was immense. I mean, he he was. He showed, again, that he's the best ball winner in, in the league. I mean, he absolutely dominated the Brighton midfield. They were dominated. They, they couldn't pass beyond the halfway line for most of the match. And you, you're right to point out that stretch of play where he picks it up maybe at the top of his own box, certainly in the Arsenal third, plays a 1-2 with Zinchenko, 
goes yeah. on like a lung busting Gareth Bale run down the left to like <laughs> to run all over these people, and he I, he could have scored there. Yeah, um, he really is. You know, I said this in the the newsletter a couple weeks ago, but obviously he doesn't have Steven Gerrard's uh, talent going forward on the ball. But in terms of being an all-action leader and doing what his team requires at each stage of the game, I don't think we've seen much like this since... I mean, Rodri has that at Man City. But it's it's rare to see this since the days of Steven Jard, where it's you know that Roy of the Rovers thing, where it's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to sit in and defend. I'm going to win the ball in midfield. And occasionally, I'm going to burst forward and get crucial goals, which he's done twice already. He has two you know, 90, 90th-minute winners already this season. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, and there's something about Rice where I feel like a massive compliment for him is he could probably play football at the highest level in any era of the Premier League. So he could easily have played in, you know, in the 4-4-2 all-style systems with two you know, box-to-box all-round midfielders. He can play as a holding six, he could play in a, as an advanced eight if, you know, if given that role. He's just got all the qualities to be, to be all-action you know, midfielder. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's it's a great bit of business, and you guys got got the perfect man to, and he's elevated your team. Um, it's just yeah, it's sad for the rest of the rest of the league to watch to watch you guys dominate, and you now have that still back in your team with him and and Saliba as well in your spine that Arsenal are difficult to break down, and they're playing good football. Yeah, Saliba is. I I think it's time to say that he is the best defender in the league. I think it's come yeah. to that. You look at Diaz, um, and I think Ake is really top at City. There are some good defenders around. Virgil Van Dijk is still a t- he's still a top defender, I would say. But mm-hmm. William Saliba is the hardest person to get around, the hardest person to go over the top. He can yeah. win it in the air. He'll he'll outpace you on the ground. He's comfortable in possession. I don't see any holes in his game. No, I don't. And it's scary that he's still so young. Um, and I think as, as his game matures, he won't need to rely on his athleticism as much. Um, but he's, he's quality. Um, and the development that he had when he went out to France first and, and just got that run of consistent games is bearing fruit now. I remember a lot of Arsenal fans were unhappy when, when he went out to Marseille for that season alone because you know, a lot of people felt that he could have contributed to the team um, during that season. But you know, it, it, it's bared fruit and he's definitely... The most, the best performing centre back at least right now, um, and it's arguably could be the best in, in in Europe. Definitely top three, top five. Um, but yeah, he doesn't really have any any weaknesses to his game that you can see. Yeah, you're right to point out that um, you know Arsenal fans were so up in arms about that, but it's got to be said that when it comes down to it, Mikel Arteta gets most of his mm-hmm. decisions correct. True. Including, it looks like Kai Havertz. I mean, if, if Kai Havertz scores 12 league goals this season, has a few assists, you know, suddenly it doesn't look like that bad value for money, um, no. even at $60 million. Obviously, Declan Rice is, is was a much more expensive player and has already sort of paid that back. But, you know, people aren't, I don't think people are laughing about Kai Havertz anymore. No. Um, and, and I'm seeing a lot more confidence. You know, a, a lot of attacking players... Uh, their form is quite linked to, to you know, their belief and, and, and their ability and their mentality to, to go out and express themselves. Um, and he looks like he's enjoying his football. It didn't look like that the first couple of months of the season. Um, but Arteta has stuck through him, um, keeps playing him um, through the bad patches and it's bearing fruit again for him. 
it's just all round great you know, man management at the moment with, um, with Arsenal and Arteta. A lot of his decisions are going right when he's bringing players out and playing Kiwo left back or bringing in Tomiyasu. It's, it's, still, it's still a consistent side and you're still getting results. So I don't know. It's probably the biggest loss to your side would maybe be a, a Declan Rice injury or suspension or, or Saliba. Yeah, for sure. And then the other dugout, you know, coming into the season, I, I had Roberto De Zerbi as, you know, pound for pound, maybe the second or third best manager mm-hmm. in the league. Mm-hmm. I think you're starting to see some cracks in, in Brighton. I, I think defensively they can always be got at. Yeah. And they're not dominating the ball in the same way. You know, when they come to the Emirates, I expect them to be ticking up towards, you know, 50% of the possession yeah. They were nowhere close today. I mean, they were nowhere close to the level that you need to be to compete for a top four place, I would say. Yeah. Um, and I kind of feel, feel a bit sorry for them because they have lost two massive players in McAllister and Caicedo that are pivotal for the way they were playing football last season and dominating in midfield and, and possession. And I think they've tried a lot of different combinations. Even up front, they've tried with Jao Pedro or, or Ferguson or Fatty playing through. Um, Welbeck is, is still producing as well. He, I thought when he came on, he, he looked quite decent and threatening. Um, I, I just think it's as good he is as a manager. He just, I don't think he'll be given a platform to really challenge you know, top four or the league because the best players will, will always go. Won't be surprised if Matoma goes in the summer. Um, yeah, they've got a couple other young players that, that look like they could really, really move on and, and, and do something in this league. Yeah, I feel like eventually Deserbi will go too. I mean, I could yeah. see him getting offered a maybe even a Real Madrid job at some point. Certainly, like yeah. uh, you know, top four, top five uh, Premier League team for sure. Um, well, I guess moving from the the first place team in the league to the second place team, which at the moment is Aston Villa Football Club, wow. yeah, who had quite they had quite a contentious match. It was you know, uh, we we I was sort of laughing watching. Um, I, I didn't catch most of it live, but I've seen back everything, and like, it was just immensely funny to me. I don't know. There's there's something that cracks me up about those managers uh, getting into it. Thomas Frank is like this very serious Dane, yeah. and he he's all you know <laughs> up in arms. I don't know why he was so upset about that Ben Me red card. I mean, that is just a classic red card tackle. Yeah. I thought. Yeah, it was classic, and that's where VAR has come in and you know done the right thing there. Because I think it was just going to give him a yellow at the time. But yeah, I mean, watching grown men throwing handbags is, will always be hilarious. <laughs> and there's a lot of theatrics on both sides. Uh, but I think, you know, we were criticising the, the referee in the United-Liverpool game. I thought the referee did quite well in the Villa, in the Villa game. Um, so, I mean, what, what can we say? Martinez was, was at the centre of it as well, uh, as well as Malpay as well. He's both very unlikable players, so... Yeah. I think they're even a real meeting, meeting of the minds. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, what you said? I said they both could have probably got sent off in that game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there I feel like there were cards flying everywhere. But, you know, to start, I thought that Brentford, they, they are a similar proposition to Brighton. They play very differently, but it's the same kind of tricky, you know, upper mid-table on the edges of Europe, the European places. You don't want to play them, really. It's never going to be fun. Um, and I think they gave Villa quite a few problems. The young kid uh, who scored the opener 
it's like good quick feet in the box. It's their kind of goal where it's, you know, they put it in the box, they cause some havoc, and they hurt you. But then Aston Villa come absolutely storming back. And, you know, we talk about Arsenal showing a certain kind of champion's form in terms of you get your two goals, you see them off. Um, this is another kind of champion's form. You know, we've talked about Arsenal scoring late goals. It wasn't so much late goals here as they came back from 1-0 down in the last 15 minutes, and they're second in the league. Yeah, second in the league, uh, scoring, and they've got so many different types of goal scorers as well in in their side. I think both of their wingers are are fantastic, um, and they they offer so much for them, and their midfield is compact and strong. Uh, I think Villa are are playing with a bit of euphoria. You know, they're, they're just enjoying their football at the moment. These sides usually do blow, you know, blow away and, and, and falter near the end of the business, end of the season. Um, so I, I don't see them being, you know, second or third by the end of by the end of May. But I think they'll they're definitely progressing as a team, and there's real belief in the side. It seems now that you know they've got a steady manager. Um, they're playing good football. They've added a bit more European style play to what was there before. Um, and Ollie Watkins is cementing himself as a as a top class Premier League striker now. You know he's he's made that steady development from getting 10, 12 goals, and you know I wouldn't be surprised if he gets you know closer to the 20, 20 goal mark this season. Yeah, yeah, I think they they have, if not an elite goal scorer, you know a very very capable goal scorer, mm-hmm. um, and you need you need that. I, I do think that as an Arsenal fan. Uh, I remember the days when Unai Emery was getting a lot of results. I think, actually, his this Villa team looks better than his Arsenal teams did, even when they were, you know, there's all the stats about how his Arsenal teams, when they were winning a lot of games, were overperforming their XG. Yeah. Your mileage may vary on those kind of advanced statistics. I, I think, I don't think that XG really tells the, the whole story, because I think yeah. it's about the taking of chances, but... I don't think that he they're overperforming their performances, if that makes sense. Like they're getting the results that they have earned at this point. Mm-hmm. But I just see them falling away, as you say. I think they're in the top four race for sure. But yeah. you know, it's kind of yeah. like Tottenham in the beginning of the season. Suddenly, people are so ready to embrace them as a as a title challenger. After mm-hmm. you know, it's the hobby horse. But last season, Arsenal were in title challengers until there were you know fifteen games left. Yeah. Um, I think that's you have to get into March and April before, you know. I don't think Arsenal even want to talk about title stuff, even though they're clearly in the title race. Yeah, yeah, and that's just you know about jinxing things as well. It's just got to <laughs> yeah. taking it each each game at a time. Um, but I think again, the difference between the Villa side and the Brentford was you could saw not having you saw not having someone like Ivan Tony in that Brentford side. Um, Brentford, rightly so, are, are a tricky tricky place and a tricky team to play against but without that talisman up front um, they're not getting as many results as they were getting you know in the, in the past couple of seasons so it'll be interesting to see what happens um, to their fortunes once you know, Tony's back but obviously there's there's rumours of him making that move in January already um, but yeah v- Villa definitely going to be on everyone's toes I think until the end of the season um, but let's see how they cope as a squad because you know with injuries or suspensions or drop of form from a couple of their players, that's when um, that's when you see the real the real metal of a team. Yeah. And I should say that the the kid who scored their opener for Brentford's Keen Keen Lewis Potter. 
who I actually was not familiar with, but 22 years old, um, scored a good goal. I, yeah, the other thing with Brentford is I think they might be missing David Raya a little bit. Um, yeah. Not to say that he's enjoyed a fantastic start to his Arsenal career, but there was a, a moment in, in the match today against Brighton where he threw this skidding ball probably 60 yards uh, at, on a, you know, it was a frozen rope, as they say in baseball here. Like, it was just, okay. it was like a perfect ball. It was like you, somebody played like a Chabby Alonso-style driven yeah. ball down the wing, but it was just his throw into Martinelli's path. And I think his distribution to somebody like Ivan Tony to get them rolling forward is missing now. They're missing both of those pieces at both ends, and they're a much easier proposition. Still, I don't enjoy playing them, but yeah. they're, they are an easier proposition these days. Yeah, for sure. They, they make you a bit less worried um, going towards your goal than, than previously. You can contain them a bit more, but they're still difficult to break down. Mm-hmm. But the, I don't understand why they signed Neil Malpai. I, I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that guy is, is not good. He's, he's just yeah. not good at scoring at a Premier League level. Yeah, he's just, I feel like his main role is just to be a nuisance rather than to get goals or, or assists for his sides. And he seems to be, you know, moving around the league at different different clubs and at different levels. Um, but yeah, I, to be honest, I, I think he's more of a championship higher table team or, you know, relegation um, in the Premier League kind of, kind of player. I, I don't think he's someone that can elevate uh, elevate a, a side or, or get you know those crucial goals to give them breathing space in the league or you know for them to challenge for Europe and, and that sort of thing is a pretty big downgrade from an Ivan Tony to be playing Malpay. Yeah, I mean if he's in the team for his shit housery, he met he certainly met his match with the Aston Villa <laughs> goalkeeper at exactly. the end. <laughs> uh, but the other there, there was yet another uh, pretty great match actually in that early window mm. um which was wolves against i'm missing west it ham. now west ham hosting yeah. wolves <laughs> yeah yeah at the um, at the london stadium what would you take away from that one man there's two players that i've been keeping a close eye on at west ham all season and that's paqueta and kudus and they say Comparison to theft of joy, I, I wish we had gone for Kudus ahead of Anthony because he seems so direct. He's got, he can go either side. Um, he hasn't really got a weaker foot. You know, definitely his left foot is a stronger foot, but you know, he finished both chances with, with either, either foot today and he's a constant threat. Um, he's got great running power. Like I said earlier, he's direct. Um, and Paqueta, he just sprinkles that bit of magic, that bit of you know, just excellence and brilliance where he's always just picks the right pass, the right weight of pass as well. Um, and they're definitely benefiting from, from that combination. Um, and Bowen is, again, is playing with, with, a, with a lot of enthusiasm. Um, he's cropping up with a lot of goals as well. They're not even playing with a recognised number nine anymore, uh, West Ham, but they're sharing the goals amongst them. Uh, they, they look pretty good. Yeah, they do. I mean, you can see why Paqueta gets games for Brazil. Um, he is a quality player, but yeah, Mohamed Kudus, I mean, this is going to be crazy to say, but with Mohamed Kudus and Jared Bowen, West Ham scored some of the kinds of goals that I wish Arsenal would score more often, which is crazy to say when the Gunners are at the top of the league, but that, that first Kudus goal where he, he gets it onto his left foot, 
He just smashes it low and hard from the top of the box when he sees an opening between somebody's legs. The keeper can't see it. It might get catch it a small deflection. You need some of those goals to see you over the line, especially if you're a team like West Ham, but I think any team. And they just they have midfielders and, you know, maybe you would say wide forwards and some or inside forwards in Bowen's case, who just know where the goal is. And, you know, they, they haven't really had, as you say, an, an out-and-out striker who's effective. You know, Mikel Antonio I actually rate as a player, but he's never going to be even a 15-goal-a-season guy. Um, but they make it work. They, they spread them around, and they're hard to beat. David Moyes' teams usually are. I think last yeah. season was really an aberration. And, you know, I think they're in the Europa League discussion. I, I don't think they're going to be a Champions League team. But, like, I don't know. I, I think... There's a lot of parity at the top, in the top nine, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think anybody can beat anybody this year. We'll talk about City a bit later. I mean, even they, you know, are, well, are not yeah. some invincible force. Arsenal can lose. Uh, Liverpool give up a lot of chances. Tottenham, we know, are, are not going to be, you know, Consistent. that dependable yeah. aside mm-hmm. at that top level, even though they're going to get their wins and they'll be in the discussion. I don't think there's any reason why West Ham can't win enough games to finish seventh or sixth. Um, so it's it's a fascinating you know season the way it's playing out. Yeah, and and it's a stark difference from from last season. Like you're saying in the league, especially they did well in winning the the conference uh, Europa Conference last season. Um, but yeah, and managing to keep hold of Paqueta, I thought was was a big plus for them this season. And unlike you know some other players that don't make that big that big money move that they're hoping for. He's, he's in this West Ham side and he's still applying himself. He's, what I do like about him is also his work rate off the ball. He does, he's a bit petulant. He does you know, winch a little bit when he gets fouled, but he's very industrious in, in his play. Um, I actually see him as being probably a, a pretty good replacement for Fernandes for, for a United side. Uh, I think Paqueta is definitely a top four player. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how they do. I think defensively, is where they probably lack the most um, West Ham. Um, but they're always a threat in every game going forward. Uh, and that will bode well for them for the remainder of the season. Yeah. And then on the other side, I, I really rate this Wolves team and, and the manager, Gary O'Neill, but they don't seem to get the run of luck ever. You know, that first of all, they get screwed by VAR almost every week. <laughs> but beyond that, it's just like things don't quite fall to them. And sometimes that is the way it goes. And that can really hurt you. They have injury issues. Pedro Neto has really never been able to stay fit, which is yeah. the reason that's, you know, I think that's the reason he doesn't play for a top four team as well. I think he's a top four player. Um, yeah. But without, you know, without that, you're, you're leaning pretty heavily on, you know, Mateus Cunha, some players that are probably top you know, mid-table, maybe top-half players, but I don't know. I, I don't know what's going to happen with Wolves. I think they might just fade into lower mid-table. Yeah, they are definitely a team that's, that's in progress. Um, Gary O'Neill definitely is, is a great manager. He was hard done by at Bournemouth, um, but you're seeing, you're seeing, you know, uh, a side that's playing under him pretty well. Um, he's got the team working well. Uh, they've got great combinations in in their midfield as well. Um, I, I like the positions that Cunha Cunha play, um, plays, and as well as I think it's Chan that plays up front with them. Um, he's not amazing, but he's quite effective, and he's someone that is 
I was surprised about his stature um, and how physically imposing he can also be as well. Uh, and that's what you need in this league. But yeah, without Neto, um, it, that's a big loss for them. And I just think they'll have inconsistent games and they, they do need um, they do need some addition if they are ever going to come out of that bottom half um, and start challenging towards that eighth, ninth, and then further on into Europe. Um, but no, they're, they're another side that on the day they can probably take anyone as well. Uh, they've got some really good players in that side. I mean, I've said it before with that opening. I, I really started to rate them on op the opening match day this season when they, they came to Old Trafford and it could have gotten ugly for United. Yeah. 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 I feel like Mateus Cunha was running all over that poor, that, that makeshift uh, United back line. <laughs> yeah. And at the time, I think we even had Casemiro starting and yeah, he just, he looked completely lost. Uh, Mount looked lost and he was overpowered in that midfield and there was just constant stream of runners um, and they break out really well as a team. So yeah, there's, there's a good foundation at Wolves. Um, it's just, I think it's down to recruitment, um, keeping their players fit. And then let's see what the ambition of the owners are. That's a lot of the, the issue with these smaller clubs in, in the league is a lot of the time they're happy just being consistent, you know, mid-table, um, 12th, 13th position um, and, and just being a steady Eddie really. Um, do they really have what it takes to, to push on further and become the new Aston Villa or the new West Ham? Yeah. Well, this is a, a sidetrack, but you mentioned uh, Casemiro and, and, and Varane, and like that, th that still troubles me about the Varane not getting games. He comes in, there's no question about his fitness. I, I don't mm. think that there's like questions about his professionalism. He's no. completely fit to play. He looks the, you know, the, technically the best d defender there. Casemiro does not look fit, but I feel like gets yeah. games regardless. <laughs> yeah. I just don't, I don't understand what Eric Ten Hag's deal is. I know that he's trying to be a disciplinarian in the way that Mikel Arteta did, where he goes into a troubled club, lays down the rules. I just, I feel like the, the wrong players are playing, but who knows? Yeah, I, I agree. But I, and again, it, it's, um, it's kudos to his, his professionalism. You've never heard in any of his previous clubs that he's been a problem, Varane. Um, and even we've been isolating out of the team for the past few weeks. He's gone back into the side. I haven't heard anything come out from him. You know, he still shakes the manager's hand. He, he's still available and, and does what he needs to do. Um, yeah, I just, I just think maybe there was other issues going on. Um, he may be stuck in his ways thinking that he wanted a left-sided, left-footed player playing on that left, in that left centre-back role. And I, I just think it's a bit of stubbornness for the manager, whether he's playing right or left centre back or even right back or left back. Moran's the best defender at the club and he needs to play and he's a leader. We don't have many of those on our side so regardless of form he has to play and at least he's he's seeing that now but I think it's mainly down to the injuries that he's back but I really would not like to see him out of this, time, out of this side anymore. Mm -hmm. Well we can go across Manchester from our brief return to, to Old Trafford uh, to Manchester City who, in my humble opinion, had a hilarious result uh, <laughs> this weekend where Crystal Palace, you know, Kenny, Roy Hodgson, however, he's coached 7 million games. Um, and he does know how to... <laughs> That's what I assume. I haven't checked that. But uh, he's quite a, quite a few at this level yeah. um, through a very long career. And it does feel like he just 
palace don't they never go down because they just always get these kind of results somehow you know they're they, they're always a problem for city specifically but also they win games you don't think they're going to win they they get draws you don't think they're going to get and it just it accumulates over the season um but you know what what did you make of that was it that city threw it away to you or do you think palace really came into it in a, in a legitimate way I think you're going to have to say that that City threw it away. Um, any Roy Hodgson side, especially with this Crystal Palace side, which does have ability in there, that they, they don't go lying down rarely. Um, so if you're not 100% switched on or if you are naive, they can they can creep up and get and get a couple of goals, and, and that's what they did. Um, the penalty was was coolly taken. Um, by Elise, I think he's a, he's a great young player. He's tied himself down for another few years, but I think he's someone on the cusp that should probably make that move to a top six side at least. Um, but yes, yeah, City just looked was a bit disappointing. Um, looked quite quite naive. Um, thought the game was probably won. Um, Palace didn't really offer much in the first half, so you know by all accounts they probably thought it was it was it was a done game. But you can't switch off at any moment in this league. And they're not killing. They're not killing teams. They're not killing games, City, and that's worrying for them. Uh, and they've got enough quality. You know, I'm, I'm not going to take the fact that Haaland's missing or De Bruyne's out of the side. They've they've got 100 million pound players in that side, and, and Grealish has come back and popping up with a couple of goals now in the last couple of games. So there's you know, and, and Foden, he's doing well in that 10 role. But yeah, it's maybe it's a mentality thing that we're seeing a couple of cracks now in this in the City side. Yeah, Foden smashed one from like 26 yards. Uh, it just wide into the side netting. But he has, I think he's picked up, you know, he's obviously been listening to the Match Report podcast <laughs> and has really been concentrating on his yeah. uh, end product. But yeah, I, th- I think there was a bit of naivete and a bit of, you know, Pep loves his rotations and he, he loves to get some of his young players involved, which I think is... is a good thing, but they just, there was a bit of Tottenham about this performance or even the Arsenal of old where they don't kill the game off. They also didn't do a good enough job of passing the other team to death, which is another specialty of theirs through the years. They just, they let people back in and, you know, Jean-Philippe Mateta, not somebody who I really think of as, as, you know, a top level striker. um, But, he, was, he scored the first, granted it was a tap-in, mm-hmm. and he won the penalty. Yeah. And if you're Manchester City, you cannot be getting beat by, by Mateta uh, no. in those scenarios. Mm. Yeah, and uh, maybe even a bit of arrogance from Pep, because you know, despite what you might think of, of, of Palace, it's not an easy game to play. Um, and starting Rico Lewis a lot in, in that midfield with the powerful runners that they have as well and the athletic players that they have, again, I think it's a bit of naivety from them, you know. Um, they, they really should have they should have coasted that game after being a couple of goals ahead. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I don't know what to make of Rico Lewis because, you know, he's clearly a good technician and he's also clearly a very intelligent player because he's pretty young and he's just picked up the pep tactics at a level where he gets games, which is not yeah. easy to do. But I also feel like there is a huge hype machine 
around any young English player that can break into the city side. Mm. And it makes sense. You can see why, because they're such an elite outfit, and any 19-year-old kid from Manchester who is playing in that team deserves attention. But, you know, you had this for years with Phil Foden, where it's like, this kid is the second coming, and it's like, well, maybe he's just, you know, learning the game, and is, you know, he's a Premier League player, but... You know, maybe, as you say, he doesn't have everything you need in certain matches where Palace especially are going to try and dominate you physically and just outrun you and and outwork you. But there is then also Michael Lise. And um, Eberece Eze also came on towards the end here. Two absolutely quality players. I mean, Elise, as you pointed out, I think he's almost like an old-school player and that he yeah. doesn't have electric pace but his he has such great technical ability his touches are so Clean. exact that yeah. he you know he keeps it away from the defender and then he glides by people in that old school sort of lost it's sort of a lost art in the game now yeah and a similar player um you know is probably Kulisevsky. they both have that that close control ability they don't have like you said electric pace they don't really go past their man um, with ease, but they you know they shift the ball well. They use their body well. Their body feints, and he's got a great pass on him, and he's great technically. Uh, I think that you know they've got a real player there um, at, at Palace. Um, and, and just touching on someone like Rico Lewis, I just feel he seems like a, a Pep system player. Where do you, does he have the ability if he was in another side? You know, could he? performed the same way if he was in a Newcastle side or, you know, a Tottenham side. Um, and, and you've seen that with, with some of the, the pet players that were in the Barcelona side as well. Um, once they're out of that environment, how good a player are they really? They're almost protected in the fact that in a side that always dominates and you can just express yourself offensively. Um, but yeah, that's, I give a lot of respect to, to Cole Palmer because I thought he was a player like that as well. But then seeing him make that move to Chelsea and, and still be that, that focal point for them, um, you know, it's been a nice surprise. So we may be doing him a disservice, Rico Lewis, but I just, there's nothing there that makes me feel there's, you know, a world-class player that can develop there. Um, I just think he's a very good technical player that, that fits well in a Pep system. Yeah, I, I think the biggest takeaway is what you got at with that com- possible complacency and... I might even say arrogance and, and not the kind, you know, for years, Man City had an arrogance that helped them dominate uh, because they were absolutely concentrated on the task at hand and had absolute belief that they were the best team in the world and they would beat the hell out of you every time. Now I feel like that arrogance is manifesting more in the complacency than in application where, and I think it's permeate, permeating the whole club. It's Gary Neville said at the beginning of the season, like it's very hard to get motivated after winning a treble on top of winning three straight Premier League titles as well. And, like, you see, it's I, I don't know if it emptied out at 2-1, but I noticed at, when it was 2-2 in stoppage time, behind the goal that Palace were attacking, and Palace had the better of the last, you know, seven, eight minutes, yeah. there's a lot of empty seats. There's a lot of people, you know, maybe they left when they thought the game was already won at 2-1. <laughs> maybe they saw that it was 2-2 when they decided to leave. I just... I don't see that happening at a at a club that's hungry in the way that they were hungry before. 
Yeah, the arrogance definitely has creeped in, creeped into the fans. They almost expect to win, and you know, from from before the whistle, um, and you know, booing the booing the players um, at the at the final whistle. I just think, okay, if if your club is not performing to the ability, that's really when the fans should be supporting and and giving that that extra motivation. Um, it's almost you know throwing their toys out of the pram just because things they're not getting those easy wins that they were before, um, <clears throat> but. Yeah, the complacency is a problem, and I think Pep probably tried to counter that this season by getting rid of a couple of the players that have won consistent titles with him and bringing in some fresh blood. Uh, but they haven't matched matched that. They are missing those runs um, and those match winning moments from Gundogan. Um, Mares is a big mess as well, um, and you have to be fair that Haaland and De Bruyne are, are massive misses as well for any side. Uh, but yeah, it, it does seem like a bit of complacency from them, and they need to sort it out straight away. Otherwise, they will falter. Um, not just from the from the title. I, I could see them, you know, lounging around that third, fourth position, which would be unheard of for for a Pep side. Yeah, it's such an interesting problem for him to have. I mean, clearly his his credentials as a man manager are beyond question at this point. Yeah, but it's a different task than he's probably ever had to do. I mean, maybe at those. I guess he was at those in those Barcelona teams that he was coaching. He had a bit of this and that, you know, they were winning so many titles that maybe it could have crept in, but he had Lionel Messi being exactly. fed by Xavi and, and Iniesta. So <laughs> yeah. you didn't really have to think about it back then. Yeah, um, Messi wins games on his own. Um, so, yeah, you don't have that at the minute with, with, with City. So... That complacency needs, needs to be cut out straight away. But knowing Pep, knowing Man City, January will come in. They can make a couple of changes, and then they're back to to title contenders and you know running away with the league again. Yeah, I mean they almost certainly will win fourteen games in a row at some point, which is why the pressure is always on Liverpool and Arsenal. But I just think also the arrogance is manifesting with Guardiola, where like at times I've seen him play. Nathan Ake at left center back, which makes sense to me. He can play there. But then it's so that uh, Yasko Gvardiol can play out on, on the left wing as the left back. Yeah. And it's almost like he's decided that Gvardiol can play left back like all of his other center backs play full back sometimes. And, like, that's that. Like, Akanji can do it. Manuel Akanji can do it. Why can't you do it? But he doesn't <laughs> look comfortable out there. And, like, why is he playing out there when Nathan Ake is, like – the, the player I would choose to shut down Mo Salah or anybody else, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and he's spoken on, on Gavidol's uh, development so far and just saying that he hasn't quite got it yet in terms of the system and, and the way that he wants him to be playing. But he's also a young player and it, it's, it's an opportunity for the rest of the league to kind of like capitalise on, on City and while they try and sort things out, you know, structure at the back. But yeah, he is tinkering a little bit and... We'll see. We'll see how long it lasts because, you know, the moment he just goes back, he, he could just go back to a settled back four with Stones, Walker, um, Diaz and Ake. And you, like you said, you'll see them go on a 10, 14 game run. And then it's like, oh, well, it's the same old city again. So then yeah. they're not too far I mean, away just, to change things. Yeah, it's as you say, it, it's this is an opportunity and it's just incumbent on Arsenal or Liverpool, somebody needs yeah. to do the business this season and take the title off them. Otherwise, I, you know, you fear for the product. The Premier League as a product is going to suffer 
if nobody else is, is making this genuinely competitive. I would say it was competitive for most of last season, but Arsenal did seriously fall away at the end. You know, it, it we need some threat. You know, there needs to be some jeopardy, some feeling that it's not a, you know, a, a royal procession every year. It, this feels like the year that somebody's got to do it. And maybe Arsenal are best placed. Maybe Jurgen Klopp has already done it. So, you know, he's the one to do it. But God help us if they fall short again. <laughs> Yeah, and I think you're right. For longevity of the league, like it can't be City again. And you know, the top four race and, and the Europa League uh, spot race is now more entertaining, and, and we're looking towards towards that more than, than the title races. You know, we don't want us to become like the Bundesliga, where you know Bayern is just running running with the league six, seven years in a row. Uh, so yeah, something something needs to change for sure. And this season, I think is probably going to be the best opportunity because the difference, I think from now to to last season you wasn't really seeing cracks in the side or the manager um, even when they weren't you know leading the league last season Pep you didn't really see him bothered or, or flustered at all but you're seeing that in some of the press conferences already now um, so I think this this season is a real opportunity for there to be a different a different Premier League winner yeah I mean I thought the cracks were showing against Luton we talked about that last week mm-hmm. he's you know his berating of the of the fourth official trying to intimidate him at halftime. Like, this is not what you do when you are cool, calm, and collected because you're the no, defending no, champions no. and you know what's what. It's that you are, you haven't won. The, that was, if they had not won there, it would have been four games in a row without a win. Unheard of for them. Um, I think they're on a legitimately bad run here. So, yeah, let's see if they can take advantage. Of course, next week, Arsenal play Liverpool uh, at Anfield, <laughs> which is terrifying. <laughs> uh, when they could, you know, Somebody's going to do damage to the other one. Maybe they'll both do damage with a draw, but um, you know we'll have to we'll have to see, and we'll hope that they can make a fist of it going forward. Yeah, I, I mean for that game, I, I do think Arsenal probably should edge it. Um, I do think then there's always that chance that this Liverpool will get will get a goal, um, especially at Anfield. It's the toughest place to go in the league, um, probably in Europe. You know, a lot of managers have said that, but I just think Arsenal structurally um, their shape defensively they're, they're harder to, to concede against um, and they can hurt any team as well so as long as Arsenal go there pragmatically um, and, and are consistent in their play I think I think it should be you know a 2-1 2-0 win um, for you guys and that makes a real statement to the league that you guys are here to win to win a premiership yeah well the difference between last year and this year is that we have Declan Rice on the on the team bus <laughs> Exactly. So I can I can have my prayers for that. Long may it continue. Uh, but I hope you have a great week until then, and we'll be back on Match Report to uh, discuss whatever happens. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully I won't be in tears. <laughs> no, I'm rooting for you guys, man. We, we need a new Premier League winner for sure, and these are the big games that you need to get over the line. Yeah.